This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. This episode of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast continues a conversation on a national effort to assist jurisdictions in evolving to more just and equitable child welfare systems. The effort, Thriving Families, Safer Children, a national commitment to well-being, is unique in that it's nationwide and a partnership between the Children's Bureau, Prevent Child Abuse America, Casey Family Programs, and the Annie E. Casey Foundation. So we're talking public, private, philanthropic entities all coming together, and and not to parachute into jurisdictions and take over implementing a single broad approach, but to help build the community partnerships and incorporate the lived experiences unique to the jurisdictions. Hello everyone, Tom Oates here. Glad you've chosen to join us as we continue this conversation. So this is part two of our focus on the Thriving Families Safer Children effort. In part one, we discussed the partnership between these national organizations and how applying a public health approach, especially in our current environment, is so important. So I urge you to take a listen to part one if you have not yet. Now, here in part two, we get into executing this commitment to well-being, including what it takes for agencies to be a good partner with the community organizations and nonprofit groups necessary to be at the table to drive system change that helps reduce the need for foster care and strengthen families to ideally never come into contact with the child welfare and child protective services agencies. So we also discuss some of the shifts that may be necessary to build more equitable and just systems, emphasizing new approaches and questions to ask while de-emphasizing some traditional thinking. We are joined again by Dr. Melissa Merrick, President and CEO of Prevent Child Abuse America, Frank Alexander, Managing Director of Judicial and National Engagement Systems Improvement for Casey Family Programs, and Sandra Gasket-Gonzalez, Vice President, Center for Systems Innovation with the Annie E. Casey Foundation. Now, I offer to you to pay a bit of attention to the thought and approach of turning the lens on ourselves and truly unpacking our traditional or, or instinctive thinking as a necessary component of change. All right, let's jump back into the conversation. We pick it back up talking about executing the commitment. And I asked Sandra Gasca-Gonzalez about the roles that the national organizations have in this effort, Thriving Families, Safer Children, a national commitment to well-being. I think we have a number of roles, but our biggest role really is to spur and expand innovative partnerships that really focus on addressing structural and social determinants of health like systemic racism, what we've been talking about. But there's one thing that I, you know, Frank talked about um, that we've all looked inward. And I, I want to give credit where it's due too, because that's the, the right thing to do. There are so many community members and organizers that have come way before us working on supporting families and stopping harm for families. And we're now joining them. And I think that sometimes we take credit for things 
that we don't necessarily or should not necessarily do so. So we have to be honest about that. And that's why a primary value of thriving families is about sharing power with families, young people, and communities. And it's our role um, to build a bridge so that these folks and system leaders can come together for transformative change. We're the connector. You know, we're the ones who have access to the Casey's, I should say, have access to public agency leaders who are instrumental in um, helping to build out these, these systems. And we have Prevent Child Abuse America that has this phenomenal network across the country. And then the Children's Bureau, who's responsible for everything. Um, and so we are all connectors in different ways. And that's our role is to bring the strength of each one of our organizations so that we can connect the people who have really been in the trenches doing this work already to connect it with the system leaders so that we can meet in the middle and have transformative change. So that's really how I see our role in this effort. So when, on the flip side then, as agencies and, and jurisdictions are, are, are recognizing the need, talking about it, starting to move forward, what can they best do to prepare, to continue to you know, set the stage for a commitment? Yeah, so the first thing I would say, Melissa and I were talking about this last Friday or last week sometime, and it's really not about how you write your interest letter or how you submit your application. The, the first thing that jurisdictions and agencies can do to prepare is to be honest with themselves about whether they want to work on building out prevention efforts that are directly linked to a reactive child protection response. Some agencies don't want to do that. Some communities, for whatever reason, I'm not saying it as a criticism, there, there are reasons that prohibit them or they're not in a place to do that. Um, but even those places should keep putting one foot in front of the other to prepare themselves for that. And then I would just say, you know, challenge their own mental models about families who need help and why they need help. See them as families of strength and not weakness. See them as people that can thrive if provided the right type of assistance when they need it. Uh, and if, if you don't know what that is, I'm going to sound like a broken record. They can prepare by inviting people they normally don't work with, like members of the community who have been investigated, young people who have aged out of foster care, families who have been reunified um, with their children so that they can learn about what works and what doesn't and put this responsibility to solve the issues by all members, by the community, the public agencies, much like how Frank talked about the four partners, the four national partners locking arms, that's what needs to happen in community too, being able to lock arms together. And that's a lot easier said than done because you have to build trust. We've all been building trust with each other. And so we, we have a sense of what that is. But that's how I would say they need to start by preparing themselves. And there's an aspect of, of as we've been talking about, it's like changing the questions that you ask. Right, recognizing where where are the supports and and you know we find this when if you have that opportunity and you are inviting folks that you mentioned that you don't normally work with but maybe you work around right or if and as you come to the table and you're looking to get that conversation started, ask them what they're what you're missing and say hey what am I missing? You'll get answers and and it's not. I think, you know, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the times 
it's not going to be up to the agency to find the solution, but the solution will be suggested back to them of I can remember what was missing or what would have helped along the way. So getting the ideas, getting the understanding, that may be the easiest part because if you're engaging those families, guys, I I think they're going to tell you what they're missing. That's right. They're going to tell you exactly what they're missing. And then to your point, they uh, then there's a implementation of that and how there's an entire uh, workforce out there that then will deliver on what those solutions are. That's exactly right. And then this gets back into, Frank, kind of the strength and the diversity of, of your relationships, uh, of your partners. And so I'm curious then for agencies to recognize who's in their backyard. You know, what exactly will they need from their community partners? I should turn around and say, what makes a good partner for an agency? And I think, you know, what what makes a, a what makes the agency a good partner for the community partner is a good question as well. And and I and I think um Part, partly, I think what Sandra really kind of hit the nail on the head, and it, and it really is beginning the process of, of building trust and shared, shared accountability toward a collective outcome in the community or the jurisdiction or the state that you're, the, the tribe that you're, that you're serving. And I think from a, from a partner perspective, I think, I think uh, for, for the Child Protection Agency, some of what the child protection agency needs from a from a partner is um, an opportunity to kind of be a bit more vulnerable than maybe the child protection agency has in the past. So child protection agencies are notoriously sort of under assault oftentimes um, because of the role that they've played in communities. And yet the workforce is so deeply committed to transforming families and strengthening families, the systems themselves are often a huge impediment to that. So some shared vulnerability, some shared accountability with a focus on really the, the North Star recentering around well-being and, and thriving families is, is really essential, which means building teams and structures for discomfort, right? Where we can actually have shared conversations around what do we see? What are, what are the outcomes that are actually being achieved or not being achieved in the community? And how, how might we develop some shared interests? I think from our experience thus far, there's a lot that the agency can do to strengthen the community, strengthen community voice, strengthen community partners, seeing the organizations that are, that are sort of center points, access points in the community um, as an opportunity to be strengthened. So, you know, really fantastic example of that is, is uh, family resource centers across, across the country are are, are really stepping up. And there are huge opportunities for states and localities to, to, to build support within family resource centers and have that connection grow strongly between the partner agency and the child welfare agency. And for, for some, of the, some of the data and some of the outcomes within child protection helping support the focus of where those family resource centers might grow. And I think the other thing is really um, Getting using this window, community partners often have a such a, a pulse on root cause solutions, uh, root cause activities that are really going to help uh, families, individuals, youth in, in their community, and lifting those up to the child welfare system right now at this time. Because we know if we focus on root cause 
policy solutions, economic supports, you know, protective factors together, um, we, 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 we have shared interests that will, that will be advanced. And so I think those are just some characteristics. Um, and the other thing, I, you know, I just think some staying power through the discomfort. I, I don't mean to repeat myself, but, but I, I think it's, it's going to be essential that when things get tougher uh, in the conversations, get tougher in the activity, that people see that as progress and see that as we are really making moves now. So let's stay here. Let's, let's figure out how we can have this conversation that has been impossible to have uh, a little bit deeper, figure out how we talk about race, how we talk about equity, how we talk about disparity, how we talk about community conditions now uh, when we haven't been able to, and, and what do we need to do to, do to do that? I think that's a huge support that a community partner agency can give to, to a child protection or child welfare agency that they, they often haven't had in the past. You know, recognizing that it's okay to get comfortable with the uncomfortable and that, that growth kind of comes out of that. Um, and so recognizing the partnerships is key. And, and there's been many other conversations we've had in, in many other episodes where partnerships and the trust is, is, is huge and the developing the relationships with, you know, with those neighbor organizations, uh, is, is, is paramount. But then there's the actual practicality of getting everybody at the table and then getting to yes. Melissa, when you get everybody together and the narratives people may may approach when they come to the table may be a little different. And everybody's version of success may be a little different. Uh, How do you get to yes with so many seats at the table? You know, in the spirit of... um recognizing the transformation and the new way of kind of working together, I would challenge that question and say, maybe we're not trying to get to yes, right? That's maybe the old model or a mental model of, you know, implement this program or do this thing, evaluate it, get these outcomes. This, as you can tell, is very different. We're talking about something that is going to look really different in all of our jurisdictions that we partner with. This is not a top-down approach where the national partners have the answers and we want, you know, to quiz you. And when you say the right thing, like ding, 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 you win like best community award. This is nothing like that. This is about partnering, listening, learning together. I mean, to echo what Frank has shared, you know, about, uh, you know, working together about how we talk about uh, systemic racism uh, inequity, how how we challenge ourselves, but then how we move from talking about it ad nauseum and recognizing it to how can we actually be about it? How can we actually be about thriving families, safer children? How can we be about our North Star being about child and family well-being, as, as we said, as opposed to this reactionary thing? So I think, you know, ensuring progress and measuring progress is going to also be new and different along with the new questions we have to ask and answer. It's going to be a new way of measuring, of understanding, of of getting um, sort of the movement tracked and gauged, right? This is something we have um, uh, site support teams uh, nationally that work um, together in communities with our various jurisdictions, with their many, many, many partners. So when you talk about seats at the table, we could be talking about 20, 40, 100 seats. So at some some point, you're right, we need to 
you know, coalesce and learn and, and, and recognize and identify some priorities. I think that that is all embedded in this um, uh, national commitment on how we're going to ensure progress to really um, bring our communities, our jurisdictions together you know, as, as learning collaboratives or learning communities to really understand are there key themes across the jurisdictions and localities that are similar, right? Are there similar challenges that people have identified? And then how can we then leverage our networks and resources and, and efforts to really achieve those? But there could be in some of our tribal uh, partners, uh, tribal nation partners, or, or um, some communities, there could be different goals, right? So it's really, again, um, kind of understanding where people are, where they want to go, and then figuring out how we can best support them in partnership um, to really achieve those goals that they prioritize for themselves. Again, this is not a, we at the national level need you to do X, Y, and Z. We've been doing that for decades. And again, if we do what we've always done, we're going to have what we what we have. So I think this is um, kind of the the really interesting and exciting part. It's also pretty much of the messy, difficult part. How are we going to prioritize what is going to emanate organically from these partnerships? Um, and again, partnership across community, but also with us partnering with these communities. You guys have all brought up the idea of, and I like the phrase of kind of changing the North Star, right? And and the well-being of children and families as that, maybe the North Star you thought you had, but really focusing on, on all right, let's put that family first sort of approach. And this is where the, 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 the lived experience of talking and engaging with your clients or those who have been through the child welfare system kind of recenter folks to where they should go. Um, as the partnerships can be developed and as that kind of like, let us move forward, let us you know really put the lens uh, on ourselves. If you are an agency, um, what would you guys recommend in terms of continuing or being able to continue to have that family expertise sprinkled in or, you know, or brought in at every stage uh, of the work? Where's the best approach for an agency that says, you know what, we like it, we, we, we talk with folks, and then we kind of go our own way. So how do you kind of kind of always circle back into being able to bring that lived experience to kind of always make sure that you, you know, you're putting the North Star first, you know, front and center. Yeah, I can start. And then I would love to invite Sandra to give her thoughts. But I think you hit it on the head, Tom, where, you know, all too often we engage people maybe early in a process, whether that's families or, or people with lived expertise or just a particular community partner or a particular agency. We may engage them once or twice. And then we go on and, and we kind of do it however we want, right? And we kind of fall back on what we're used to. And so this is something very different. This is about engaging with everyone. All of these partners have equal power. They share the power and the decision-making and the solutions, um, certainly the brainstorming of solutions, but then the ultimate implementation of solutions, they share that from the beginning early and often and continuously throughout the process. So this is not a, you know, let's involve some key stakeholders at one point in time or maybe a pre-post or something like that, but it really is around building the trust, um, keeping the trust, and then really 
um, having these difficult conversations, this, this, you know, being comfortable with discomfort that, that has been a theme throughout this, that's what it's going to take, but it has to take that in partnership throughout the whole process. I, I think that's what I wanted to, to highlight. I'll build on that, Melissa. Um, based on what you're saying, I, you know, we are always in agreement about how families should be embedded and young people should be embedded. They should actually be seen as architects, chief architects of the, the solutions that are being designed, and they should be paid for their efforts. Just like every other professional that is coming to the table to work on, um, you know, we're all being paid to be here. They should be paid to sit at the table and uh, be allowed to have the freedom to not worry about, uh, you know, taking time off from work. Very practical things. They should be a part of the the design of the agenda for the meeting. They should be a part of the design of the work plan. All of all of these um, activities are changes in behavior, which builds trust, and that's really how you get to. Uh, how, how you get to a different place because we talk a lot in the work that we do and communities need to see action and they're watching. They're watching us to see how, um, how we show up, how we behave and how, um, how we treat them, how included they are. I, I would also add that I think one, we're not there yet, but I think one I uh, we should have towards is how we measure participation and engagement of family and young people in the design. So I I, I think that we're com- I know we're committed to making sure all of that happens. Um, it's one thing to have a value around it. It's another thing to actually implement that value. We've been able to talk about a lot of the new approaches, or at least what, you know, turning the lens on ourselves and the questions you should ask and, and the way we, we shift forward in, in, in looking toward that future. But a lot of turning the lens and asking the new questions means there are things we won't be doing. And so I'd be curious now, um, as we talk about moving forward, what would you suggest that a- where agencies at least start when they investigate things that maybe they should de-emphasize as they start to move forward? There's probably so many here, um, and and I'll just get us started. I bet Frank has a lot of um, concrete (laughs) examples to share uh, with our listeners. But, you know, for me, it's always interesting to hear of an organization of any any type that, that says, okay, we do X right? And we squarely, this is our lane, let's say. But then these initiatives come to be or this commitment and, and, and you know, maybe they want to be part of this initiative or commitment and maybe they're not really there. But so they think that they can simply sort of tack on the word prevention to what they're doing and that that makes it so. And obviously what we're talking about, and, and I think Frank uh, really already kind of um, said this, and I totally agree, is we're talking about doing things differently. So it may not be things that people already have the bandwidth, the expertise, the training um, to do, right? So it's about then providing the training, the cultural shift. Again, we are, I mean, at a, at a you know, 50,000 foot view as a nation, we are about the, you know, sort of the dominant narrative has always been um, in this area that 
you know, it's a bad mom or a poor mom who uh, uh, maltreats her children, right? Versus the narrative that we need where we all have a role to play in keeping families strong and keeping kids um, thriving and supported, right? And, and really highlighting the strong evidence that, that really confirms that my children will actually do better and will thrive if all children are doing better and are thriving. So it really then requires a real narrative and cultural shift, which I think is one of the most exciting parts about Thriving Families, um, Safer Children. It's that so many partners here, you can see four of our our key national partners, but there's many others. Um, And then of course, all of the community partners that are really calling for this new narrative, this new shift, this understanding that actually what we need to be about as a country, as a collective across agency is supporting children and families before they find themselves in crisis so that they are set on these trajectories toward health, well-being, and prosperity, right? So it's then going to require de-emphasizing that mental model that keeps us quote, in our lanes, right? And, and, and again, that's not to suggest that then they have to do everything they're doing and then tack on these other kinds of prevention ideas. It's about really restructuring what we all do. And that is why, to, to Sandra's point earlier, not every community is in the place where that is politically um, achievable in this moment. That's uh, maybe not even a, a vision for, for the state at this moment, but for so many communities, it is. This moment gives them sort of the nudge to continue the great work in in prevention, in community partners, in engaging um, and empowering families and others with lived expertise to really uh, uh, catapult this kind of movement, this kind of energy. So I would say it really starts with sort of our mental frameworks and mental models from a like a national uh, perspective, and then of, of course organizationally in community and in family. And you know, Tom, the only thing I would add to that, which was which was fantastic, is just um, I think in precisely where you need to emphasize is precisely where the answer to what you should be de-emphasizing exists. So. So, for example, if in your community right now you, you, you let's just say you have a, a an unfortunately high number of kids living in congregate facilities, or you have an, an a, a disturbingly high number of children in placement that are under the age of one, or you see a a certain level of inequity or disparity in in your data, the thing you want to de-emphasize is that that is going to continue. So, so if, if instead we kind of focus the question on what it is we want to emphasize, which is, for example, we don't want young people growing up in institutional facilities serving as their, their family when we haven't provided support that they've asked us earlier in life to strengthen their family where they, they do not need to reside in an institutional in an institutional setting. So I think I think by asking the question differently, it sort of raises the I'm not going to operate my agency anymore in a silo in a siloed way that achieves these negative outcomes that families and young people have been asking of me for quite some time. So I'm going to 
to rigorously build new relationships and partnerships and collaborations to, to get better outcomes that are centered on family and child well-being. And I'll be able to begin to de-emphasize the work if I, if I think about that and I build a wholly different way of operating. And, and you don't have to do this work alone. There's no one that has to do and can do or should do this work alone. There are many hands in a community that want things to be different. Uh, there are young people ready to lead. There are families ready, ready to lead. And I think once we, once we break that sense of the CPS system is completely overwhelmed and inundated with all of this work and can't possibly keep up with what we're already doing, we break through that, that sort of artificial glass barrier to, to community conditions and community well-being, we'll actually find that there, there's, the work's a lot lighter and, and it's a lot more recentered back on why we, we got into social work in the first place, why we decided to, to like dedicate our lives to helping families and communities to be part of the work, focus on conditions. And, and it's, a lot, it's, it's ultimately more rewarding. And I think the energy, the creativity, the solutions are right there. And um, they they kind of move in they kind of move in tandem. But you you need to know your system and your community uh, really really well uh, to be able to diagnose what to emphasize and what to de-emphasize. And I think those are sort of flip sides of the same coin. And if I can just jump in here about how important the relationships that you develop matter, because uh, a specific example related to what we're talking about right now is the relationship that Annie E. Casey has developed with Prevent Child Abuse America. Now, I didn't know Melissa before this effort. We've gotten to know each other. And my perspective, perception of Prevent Child Abuse America has been that they're focused on zero to five-year-olds. And the Annie E. Casey Foundation wants to end the pipeline of youth aging out of the foster care system to support systems to do that. Um, for a whole host of reasons because of the negative outcomes that they experience and they don't get a forever family typically. And there's about 20 to 23,000 who are aging out of foster care every year. By coming together and talking with Melissa about what all of the chapters of Prevent Child Abuse America do across the country, we learned that there are actually some chapters that are working across the developmental lifespan, the teen lifespan. And one of the things we want to focus on is teen entry prevention. And so we have now developed a partnership um, to figure out to do a landscape assessment of how we might um, pull those strategies together so that teens aren't entering the system. And, and so when you think about what to de-emphasize, what to emphasize, it all gets wrapped up in these relationships that you form and how you start to build trust to get to a different outcome. And of course, each one of those relationships, or it should, you know, at, at every level, the jurisdiction, the state, the relationship, the individual, even the caseworker, um, is going to be different from the experience somebody brings in to the environment that they're operating in, and, and to even to the outcomes that they're looking for. And and there's a positive to that because it means there's just so much to be learned, and then so much to be shared. And, and, but there is a challenge to that. So I'm curious for, 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 for all three of you, um, how do you plan or how do you manage to be able to share and, and implement what's being learned uh, across the communities, be it just round one or when you get into the multiple rounds? Um, how do we take advantage 
of when progress is being made all across the efforts? Yeah, it's such a good question and such an important um, priority of any effort like this. You know, all too often there's good things happening um, in various communities, but really it's not disseminated fully and we can't learn from one another. And this um, sort of effort has really been intentional about the learning uh, uh, collaboratives, the, the communities of practice, uh, you know, that among the communities in round one, round two, and then ultimately nationally that will learn together and share. Now, how we do that for the whole field um, is, is a huge undertaking, especially as we've already um, highlighted throughout this um, conversation where the fierce urgency of now brought us to do it without figuring every single thing out. Um, but I'm thrilled that part of the, the role of the national organizations and the commitment that we've made is that our communications experts um, internally across all four of our entities are working together to figure out what is a robust kind of dissemination plan. We will surely have a website. We will surely have um, different modules where people could come to learn about the various um, uh, 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 community efforts that have happened in the various jurisdictions and so that we can learn together as a field. But um, I, I just think that this is a huge uh, undertaking, but it's such an important part because each of us gets emails every single day from people who want to just know more. They want to learn. They want to be a part of it. They want to, you know, again, the momentum is so palpable right now. And so we, we must uh, uh, make sure that it's externally available um, for people in digest form, for folks that just need the high level, and then in more detailed form for people who really are, are well-prepared to kind of take some of the lessons learned and make some uh, uh, efforts, you know, implement some efforts in their own communities. And of course, learning happens, you know, Frank, at all levels. So it's not just a 50,000-foot national organization. Of course, there is learning there. There's also learning boots on the ground and at the training level and at, with the partners if you to turn around, plus, you know, the, the, those at the, those who are actually being affected. So it's almost that this, it's a great multi-level community of practice that sometimes can clearly be overwhelming. So being able to, you know, articulate, identify, disseminate, and answer kind of the big questions that everybody has, no matter what perspective they have of, well, what does this matter to me and how do I care? And that's, that there's a big effort. Well, hopefully, knock on wood, it does become a big effort because that does mean that there would be a lot of lessons to be learned and to be shared um, across the board. Finally, for, for, for the group here, um, hey, this is not easy. So I'd love to get your take from where we are right now, what you anticipate the biggest challenges to be for, for yes, for the national organizations and, and for where you guys are involved, but also, you know, for, for the communities and the jurisdictions themselves. Um, you know, Tom, I think that so often communities are used to big organizations saying they want to follow their lead, but the organizations come in with their own visions, their own plans, and their weight is felt because they come in with money. And this is really fundamentally about putting power in the hands of those on the ground and supporting them in making the, the right things happen. So like our report card for ourselves is about that, putting the power in their hands to make the changes 
And trust building is key. And we do that by changing our behavior and just being consistent, especially when we are feeling uncomfortable. Because all of us here, admittedly, we have been very prescriptive in our technical assistance in how we show up. And it has been a shift for us to take a step back, allow the space and and, uh, provide the, the resources for communities to do take this up on their own. And like I said earlier, communities have been doing this work for a very long time. So we should definitely not be taking credit for that. Our, our contribution to this work really is about how we guardrail that container so that they can do this work in a different way. You know, I, I, I think, uh, Tom, that the some of the biggest challenges are going to be uh, for us not to be limited in our in our thinking and on our approaches, because as we as we move our systems to be more responsive to actual asks from our community members, we 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 have to get upstream. And as soon as we get upstream, the beauty of being upstream is is you're actually developing solutions across multiple systems. The solutions are not isolated. We're not trying to solve the child protection agency issue. We're trying to solve uh, inequity issues. We're trying to solve poverty issues. We're trying to solve housing instability, economic success. Uh, you know, we're we're trying to focus on how how we collectively build thriving uh, communities. And and so the the challenge is going to be for for partners across the board, federal, state, local, community, to keep opening up our eyes to to different solutions and to and to kind of reach further upstream because we're, that is really where uh, we we need to be and and fundamentally where we're we're going to find the greatest the greatest uh, support the greatest opportunity and and really where where the, the greatest level of uh, equity is achievable. Health disparities are reduced at the same time that you reduce economic disparities. Child protection disparities are reduced as soon as you reduce housing disparities and housing instabilities. And so these 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 opportunities as we move in the next few years together are going to to give us a, a, an opportunity to to really push and think differently together. Um, and I think that's that's why our hope for thriving families is is pro- profound and 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 deep and we think that the information sharing isn't as hard as the relationship building and the and the locking arms components because as soon as you do those two pieces the the information is actually everywhere like we all know what's not working right now we don't want to talk about it but there's plenty of information about it um so i i think they kind of work in tandem and then the great challenge in all of that is that it takes time to develop relationships, to build trust, to nurture that trust and those relationships to ultimately create the conditions um, that we want to create for our children and for our children's children. So I think, you know, the urgency of this moment propels us to be where we are here today to have this conversation with you. But we know that this is not an overnight uh, kind of solution, right? We can't just fix all of the problems, um, and uh, you know, next week or or in two months or maybe even in two years. But we can stay committed to the fact that we know we can do better than normal. 
for children and families, and that we can, working together in partnership, um, we can prevent child abuse and neglect. We can start families off on a road to success and thriving so that they could reach their maximum health, life, um, and prosperity outcomes. And as you guys mentioned uh, earlier, what better time than now? While we're while we're forced to do this, while the questions are, are are in our minds, in our discussions, and not just in the back of our heads a little bit, but actually being brought up, and now it's the time to 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 make that change. Melissa Merrick, uh, Sandra Gasco Gonzalez, Frank Alexander. I cannot thank you enough for all the time you've spent with us, but also all the time that you've spent uh, with your organizations, with the jurisdictions, and with each other, and the Children's Bureau as well, um, moving forward with with this effort. Um, Clearly the the best of luck, and to all of those who are striving to kind of make this difference and, and, and make it tangible. Thank you guys so much for being a part of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. More information on partnering with community organizations and implementing a primary prevention approach can be found on this episode's webpage. Just head on over to childwelfare.gov and search podcasts for this episode and all of the episodes of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. We'll have links to additional resources and more from the national organizations. Of course, if you are looking for publications, tools to work with families, training materials for staff, data, contact information, do not hesitate to visit Child Welfare Information Gateway at childwelfare.gov. If you have something specific you're looking for, you can search our library. It's the largest library dedicated solely to child welfare, with more than 110,000 titles you can search through. Or you can reach out to our team directly at info at childwelfare.gov, where we can help you with your information search. Plenty of other great episodes of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast are available to you. Just subscribe to the podcast. We're available via Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Again, many thanks to Melissa Merrick from Prevent Child Abuse America, Frank Alexander from Casey Family Programs, and Sandra Gasca-Gonzalez from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. And of course, thanks to you. We're so happy you're a part of this community and that you've chosen to spend your time with us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.